What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today, we are continuing on in chapter 15 and talking about the resurrection. Now, we did the first section and talked about the importance of Christ's resurrection and how that influences the entire meaning of the gospel. We also started the second section of this chapter when Paul begins to talk about the resurrection of the dead in Christ. And it's so important that we have faith in this resurrection because the resurrection... uh, of the gospel is what makes the gospel good news. Without the resurrection, the gospel is no longer good news. And without life after death, it's just sad news. So I just want to remind you of that. It's kind of where we were last week. So today we pick back up in the middle of the second section, starting in verse 24, and we will continue to talk about what it's going to look like when Christ returns and resurrects all of the believers that belong to him. So read with me today. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 34, and we'll talk a little bit. It says, After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God who gave his Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? Why do, you, why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character." Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. All right. So let's talk about the last part of this section because um, this might get a little deep. And I purposefully cut last week's uh, talk a little short because I knew we would need a little more time to discuss some of this thing, uh, some of these things today and explain what Paul is trying to communicate in this short passage. So first you have to remember that God has given authority on earth to men to rule. Um, You can't deny that. Throughout the course of history, even when you read the Bible, um, God has raised up kings and rulers. He's raised up kingdoms and empires to do his bidding. He's used them to bring about punishment on sinful people, um, to execute his purpose leading up to the coming of Christ, to execute his purpose leading up to salvation, leading up to the coming of the end of the world. I mean, God has worked all this out, and he has used men to accomplish his plan um, throughout the course of history. And yes, there is an end that Christ is preparing all of this for. And we have to remember that, you know, the world is not eternal. There is going to be an end to this world that we live in. Uh, So if you hear people talk about global warming and, and nuclear war and a comet striking the earth and and all these different things, don't fret, okay? And I'm telling you not to fret, not because the end is not coming. The end is coming. 
but it's coming from a spiritual sense and God is going to be in complete control. So as a believer in Christ, you need to understand the world will end one day, but it will end as God sees fit when he is ready to bring all things to an end. It won't happen as a result of nature or cosmic play or uh, the influence of man on this thing. No, the world will come to an end when God says it's ready in time for it the end and all things to be brought back to him. So, um, you need to understand that. There will be a day when Christ will finally subdue every ruler and authority and power on earth. And when he does, Paul says that Christ is going to turn his kingdom and his power back over to God the Father. So basically, God has put everything underneath the control of Christ so that Christ can bring order and rule and reign to the earth and to the heavens. And once he he does this, um, he's turning everything back over to the Father. And that's confusing, but you just kind of got to try to keep up with what Paul's saying. You know, Jesus came to set the example. You know, he came to bring glory and honor to the Father. So for him to revert everything back to the Father was always the intention of what we're supposed to be doing anyway. Everything that we do, everything we say, every accomplishment, every every good thing in life should be directed towards God the Father, and He should be receiving the glory and honor and credit for it. And it's the duty of Christ, the Son of God, to reign and to humble His enemies beneath His feet. And that's important to remember. You know, Jesus was sent out to be a conqueror. He was sent out to bring uh, authority and order to the world and the people of the world. And once all that has been done and all has been defeated, and the last enemy to uh, defeat for Christ is death. And this is why the resurrection is so important. And that's why Paul is talking about the resurrection. Because when the resurrection takes place, it's the final sign that Christ has accomplished all that he was entrusted to accomplish. And so when you look at verses 27 to 28, Paul talks about the authority given to Christ. Everything has been put under the control and dominion of Christ except for God himself. And once it's finished and all things are under Christ, and Christ will in turn give that authority back to God so that God will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere, both in heaven and on earth. So the resurrection is the final stroke of the sword that will bring victory to Jesus and to God. So Paul is communicating again how important the resurrection is. Without the resurrection, there is no victory. There is no life after death. And there is, uh, there is no um, evidence of God reigning supreme without the resurrection. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the church in Corinth. There were people who were saying that... There was no need for the resurrection, that the resurrection wasn't real, and they didn't need to teach it. But Paul is basically reminding him, look, the resurrection is the final authority of God. It is what all this stuff hinges on, eternal life, heaven, um, being raised from the dead, having the reward of eternal life. All of this hinges on the resurrection of Christ. So verse 29 is a question that should very much be paid attention to. What is the point in being baptized if the dead will not be raised? Why do it unless someday the dead will rise again? And this is a very legitimate question that Paul asks because, again, 
the Corinthians, some of them were teaching that there wasn't a resurrection. And when you think about baptism, there's so much symbolism that goes into the wonderful testimony of faith in Christ when you get baptized. Yes, baptism is an acknowledgement that you have put your faith in Christ and that you have been washed of your sins. But it's also a symbol of putting your old self to death and a new person being born in Christ. And yet, it's a further symbol of the faith and belief that one day, when you die and you are buried, you will be raised from the dead on the great day of resurrection as all things are completely put under the power and control of Jesus Christ. So when you get baptized, there's there's basically a threefold symbolism to baptism. You are communicating three messages, three beliefs to everyone who witnessed you being dunked under that water when you were baptized, that you were washed from washed clean from your sins, that you are putting your old self to death, and you are being born new in Christ, kind of like that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Then you are also communicating that I believe that when I die and my body is buried, I will be resurrected into eternity with Jesus Christ and God the Father. So you're communicating that, those three things, to people whenever they are witnessing you get baptized. So, verse 30 moves on to a more practical stance in following Christ. You know, we forget many times that the people in the New Testament were constantly in danger as a result of just being a Christian. And Paul asked the question, why should we risk our lives hour by hour if there's no resurrection? If there's no eternal life, what is the use in putting ourselves in danger? And it's a really fair question. And the truth is, is that it's ludicrous to put yourself in danger with no justifiable reward to compensate for it. You know, there are people out in this world who work some really, really dangerous jobs. But those very dangerous jobs pay really, really good money. And so you have to have a justifiable compensation for being willing to sacrifice and put yourself out there on the line for something. And so for there to be no resurrection, basically, there's nothing to gain. There's nothing to win as a result of putting yourself in danger, which is kind of ludicrous. So there's no point in it. And that's something that Paul draws our attention to. Now, verse 32 is a little puzzling, as Paul mentions, fighting wild beasts in Ephesus. Um, I just want to talk about this for a second, because there's really no recordings or documentation of Paul actually fighting any wild beasts in an arena or anything like that. So some scholars think that he was probably talking about um, having uh, battled the people in Ephesus, and he was referring to people as the wild beasts. Um, And it's kind of a reference back to Acts 19, verses 21 through 41. So you can go back and read that and just kind of see, you know, what you think about it. But but basically, Paul finishes up verse 32 by saying, Well, if there's no resurrection, then let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Um, Which is what, it was a pretty common saying during this time. And you've probably heard people say that before. But if there's no life after death... If there's no reward, then Paul is the first one to say that all of Christianity is a waste of time, so you might as well live it up and make the best of this life. But Paul knows with all of his heart that eternity is real and that it's waiting on every one of us who puts our hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. This is why in verse 33 he says not to be fooled by those people, those foolish people, because they will corrupt you. 
There were people in Corinth saying those things. Feast and eat for tomorrow we die. Like, just live up your life. YOLO. You only live once. Live it up. I mean, this is it. And there were people saying that. And Paul was telling them, hey, think about what you're saying. (coughs) Think about what's right. In verse 34, Paul says, stop sinning because it seems that some of you don't even know God at all. And that's kind of hurtful. When you read that, if that's you, that that kind of stings a little bit. You know, some people might read that and be like, ouch, that hurts. Because God is looking at some of these people and saying, look, by the way that you're living your lives and the sin that you have present in your lives, it looks as if some of you doesn't even know God at all. And that would be painful to hear from one of the apostles. And so this is important before we move on to the next section. If there's sin in your life... It's kind of a revelation of our true understanding and experience with Christ. It just doesn't make sense how Christ, uh, how you can know Christ and yet continue on living in sin. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to struggle with sins and temptations, and you're, you know, we're human, we're not perfect, but nobody should be living in habitual sin who knows Jesus Christ. There's no excuse for that whatsoever. So if there's sin in your life, it needs to be dealt with. You need to do something about it, repent, confess, turn away, call on the name of Jesus, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, pray and beg God to help you overcome what's in your life because sin is evidence that there is something wrong between you and Christ because Christ died to free you from the power and the bondage of sin and that's something that we should all remember. All right? Let's read verses 35 through 58, the very last section. It's a, it's a good chunk of scripture, but we'll read it together and we'll talk about it. It says, But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in heavens and bodies on earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies... There are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam is the first man that was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. 
But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. And it will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always working enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Okay, that was a mouthful, but let's work through it. Um, It's not nearly as much to, to talk about. This is a little easier to understand than the last section, but Paul finishes up this chapter by... excuse me, talking about the resurrection body. What will it be? What will it look like? What will it be made up of? And these are all puzzling questions that I'm sure that all of us have wondered at some point if we have given any thought whatsoever about the resurrection in heaven. Uh, I'm sure you've asked some of these questions. But Paul says that this is a foolish question. And he starts using these analogies. And he says, just as a seed goes into the ground and comes out looking completely different and is made up of living matter that is completely different from its former self, so it is when we pass from this life into eternity. We are going to receive a new body that God wants us to have. Paul also uses the analogy of the different types of flesh here on earth that you have human flesh animal flesh birds flesh and fish flesh and all of them have different fleshes there are earthly bodies and heavenly bodies and the heavenly bodies are different than that of earthly bodies and even the sun is different from the moon and the stars are different from one another and they all have glory but their their glory is different from one another and in verse 42 paul says that the resurrection is going to be the same way Our earthly bodies will be planted in the ground just as seeds, but they will be raised to live forever. They are buried in brokenness because people die when their bodies begin to fail them. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when your body is broken and it cannot heal itself and function as it should, that's when we begin to die. But but our bodies will be raised in a different glory. Alright, so our physical bodies are buried in weakness, but our spiritual bodies will be raised in strength. We are buried in earthly and fleshly bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies, which are very different. And there's a huge difference. And you can't box in or pigeonhole eternity based on our understanding of of finite and worldly things. You know, we have such a limited understanding of what we know because of what we see, touch, feel, taste. All of our experiences with the physical. We have very little understanding of the spiritual. Like We have moments where we have these like great spiritual moments, but 
our understanding of the spiritual is still very limited. And there's a, there's a difference in the two. We have to be aware of that and not box ourselves in to what we think and how we comprehend this is going to be. Paul then uses the analogy of Adam and Christ again. And remember at the beginning of this chapter when Paul was talking about the death that came through one man, Adam, and life came through one man, Christ. And just as Adam was the first living person, Christ is the first life-giving person. Not physical life, okay? Because remember, Adam and Eve gave birth to sons and, and daughters. They had children. But Christ was the first man uh, to, to give spiritual life. The natural or earthly bodies comes first, but the spiritual bodies comes later. And, and we are all earthly, okay? We all had earthly bodies first, and we must all die figuratively and surrender to Christ. And so there's we can apply this in two different ways. Um, so when we get saved, we, we come to Christ, we put ourselves to death and allow ourselves to be reborn in Him, experiencing a small amount of, of spiritual life in our physical states. Okay, so we're figuratively putting ourselves to death and be, being brought to life spiritually through our relationship with Christ. But we also must die physically, like in a literal sense. We all have to die so that we can all be brought back to life through Christ for eternity. So there's a figurative death and there's a literal death. There's a figurative spiritual birth and there's a literal spiritual birth through resurrection. And we begin the process of becoming spiritual beings as we engage in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ in this physical life but that process is completed upon our physical death because when we are finally dead, at that moment, we can become 100% spiritual beings. And the Bible talks about this multiple times. In order to share in the resurrection of Christ, we must be willing to share in the death of Christ as well. So we all have to be put to death in order to be resurrected back to life. And this is why in verse 50 it says that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They are tainted with sin and they must be destroyed and done away with. We need new bodies and they're dying. And what is dying and what is temporary cannot inherit what is eternal. Because uh, if we inherit something that is eternal, it doesn't make any sense. Because it doesn't do us any good because we're still having to give it to someone else or pass it along or give it away again. Uh, we can never <clears throat> hold on to something for eternity unless we are eternal beings. And so Paul then reveals this wonderful secret that not all who believe in Christ will die. Um, some will be lucky enough to be transformed without dying. And, and that's not going to be everybody. It's only going to be a few. But we all will be transformed, okay? Most people will die. Not all will die. But we all will be transformed. And it's going to happen so fast that we won't even realize what's going on. Within the blink of an eye, the old will be gone and the new will be. And when the last trumpet is blown, all things are going to be made new. Everyone who has died in Christ will be raised to live forever. And everyone who is living in Christ in that moment will simply be transformed into a new eternal body. We are dying and mortal, but we must be transformed into immortal and undying bodies in order to receive eternity and inherit eternal things. 
And then Paul moves on to talk about when this happens, when that trumpet's blown and we're all transformed, then the scriptures will be fulfilled. And it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Whose victory is that? It's Christ's victory. Where is death's victory? Death doesn't have victory. It only seemed powerful because we all had to experience it. It only seemed powerful because we couldn't run from it. We all had to face it. And we all know someone who's died. And we all know that one day we're, we're going to experience this. But death will be overcome and defeated for all of eternity. Where is death's sting? It's gone, never to be felt again. And it's interesting because in verse 56 and through verses 58, Paul finishes up the chapter with a small bit of explanation. And he talks about how sin is the sting that results in death, and the law of God gives sin its power over us. But thank God, Christ has given us victory over sin and death. Therefore, we should be strong, immovable, hardworking, with enthusiasm because we are confident that nothing we ever do for God is useless. There are rewards that will last eternally, and these rewards are at stake. They're there for the taking, and we should be ready to 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 sacrifice and move and work enthusiastically to gain these rewards because it's not useless to work for the Father. It's not useless to surrender <clears throat> for Him. It's not useless to sacrifice for Him. It's not useless to to put yourself to death for these things. It comes with a great prize. It comes with great compensation. And sin and death and the sting of all of it is going to be gone forever when the trumpet blows and we're all transformed and we're all resurrected, just as Christ was. Victory will be complete Eternity will be brought forth, and we will all be made into eternal spiritual beings. I just want to ask you today, how are you feeling about that? How are you feeling about working for the Lord? How excited are you to sacrifice and to give up and to give yourself away in order to see these things come to be? What are you willing to do to see this to fruition? Only you can answer that. Only you can seek the Lord and beg Him to help you to be excited and to be willing to give up all these things. But you've got to be the one to do it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day and this time we have together. God, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and lives. Lord, touch us and prepare us. Lord, help us to be the men and women you've called us to be. Lord, help us to be excited about sacrificing in this life because we believe with all of our hearts that one day we will be resurrected into eternity with an eternal home, with an eternal father, with eternal rewards. And Lord, to know that death is only the beginning. Death is only the planting of the seed that will grow into eternal life. And I pray, God, that you would help us not to be scared, but Lord, to be excited and to look forward to that day that we finally stand before you face to face. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in for another week. Thanks for being a part of the Graham Chapel family and a part of the kingdom of God. Make sure you tune in this weekend for our video services on Facebook, YouTube, or podcast. And if you can, we would love to see you in person. We hope you have a wonderful week. We're praying for you. Hope to see you soon.